Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. And today we have, of course, Michelle. Hello. And the wonderful Gwendolyn Womack with her book, The Fortune Teller. Hi, everybody. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, Michelle and I are so excited. I'm excited. Yeah, we have... We had a major freak out moment, fangirl moment, when we found out that we were going to get to read the book and then that you agreed to come onto the show with us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And we do, we have a, a slightly unconventional evening. Um, I just got back from North Carolina with the kids, and that one hour time difference is like, it seems like nothing, but it's huge. Mm -hmm. And so my kids went to sleep, took a nap at like four, and like five o'clock, I was like, okay, they need to wake up now. And they didn't. And it got later and later, and it switched from please wake up to please stay asleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at like 9.15, they woke up. So I'm actually not drinking wine. I'm drinking coffee tonight because I have a feeling I'm going to be up a lot later after the end of this. <laughs> and so, Gwen, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking uh, a Coppola Claret, which I like. So I thought I would go with red tonight. I did, too, and I like Coppola. That's a good brand. Uh, tonight, I decided to try something different. Um, with Stellar Organics from South Africa because it has this really cool um, mandala on the front. Oh, cool. It kind of fit with the theme. And it's like fair trade and organic and like all the other good stuff. So you and feel less guilty drinking the whole bottle. <laughs> I do, but I'm not so sure how I like it. That's a problem. Um, but this, the taste is a little not... Yeah, it's spicy for Shiraz. So it's not a spice that I'm used to. Um, so that's gonna be pretty crappy if I get this like uh, good conscience, really good um, earth-friendly wine and I don't like it. <laughs> so I'm just gonna drink vicariously through you guys. But I did I did check to see if we had Bailey's and we don't. Or Kahlua, we have nothing. We have coffee. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> so I apologize in advance if any chaos erupts on my end. Um, we have cars going in the other room, so hopefully that will keep them occupied. <laughs> yes. And that's her super cheesy laugh. Yeah, somebody's in a giggly mood tonight. It's gonna so, be fun. Yeah, I probably didn't help that one out with making faces at her beforehand, so I'm sorry. Um, kind of. So, <laughs> so before we get into things, um, I just want to warn people, we will be um, having spoilers. So if you have not read the book, uh, proceed at your own caution. Yes, spoiler alert. Yes, yes, all over the place. And so to give people time to get used to things, I figured now would be a good time to announce our winners. Oh, yay! We had 32 entries, um, which is really... Like a big girl giveaway. <laughs> yes. And um, it was, you know, lots of great people. Um, 
entered, and we had our the winner for the fortune teller was Ellen Fister. Or did I say that right, Michelle? You totally did, Ellen oh. Fister. It was it was a random. We uh, Diana handles the giveaway, so I don't even know how it worked. But it was one of one of those random generator things. But Ellen happens to be my aunt, so I'm, I'm oh, super cool. excited that she won. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, through Rafflecopter, so I have absolutely, you know, no say in the picking. Um, and and then the winner for the memory painter is uh, uh, Jaina Leia. Yay! I will be emailing them. Getting, um, if you guys are watching, you're going to be getting an email from me soon with all of the information, uh, so I can get your information. And so let's... Ready to dive into questions? Because I know Michelle has a million of them, like normal. You can tell who the journalism, uh, journalism major is between the two of us. She comes up with all these questions, and I'm like, I, I, I can't fit anything more in. You, you've got them all covered. Well, I think the one of the first things that I thought of when I started reading the book is that there are so many areas are so many topics that you can like really obsess over and I thought the um, her field in pale paleography and her knowledge of handwriting analysis mm -hmm. was so interesting because I I remember going to like the Orange County Fair when I was in high school and they had those it was like you know you pay a dollar and they insert your handwriting into this machine and they tell you all these things about you mm -hmm. So I just thought the handwriting analysis portion of it was so interesting. And how long did it take you to, to research all of this? Um, the handwriting part, uh, I've actually always been fascinated with handwriting analysis too. And it was something when I was growing up, I actually studied, uh, you know, got books and read about it. I was really fascinated with it. And um, when I was working on Simile's background and uh, you know, I, I really wanted her to be a manuscripts appraiser um, because she needed to find this thing and be able to translate it and know what to do with it. Uh, so I kind of had to work backwards and really build her world and her career. And um, I did a lot of research uh, just on, you know, conservation, preservation. Um, and I uh, became a member of the Manuscript Society, which I discovered them in my research. And this is a society of collectors um, uh, in the United States, well, really around the world, but uh, it, it's based in the U.S. And I was so excited to, to find out they existed and, and become a member and start getting all of their, you know, newsletters and stuff. And um, I just remember it kind of coming out of that, uh, that the whole, the whole paleography. Um, just coming out of that research, uh, and it just, it felt right that that was her passion. That was kind of like her in into that whole world. It came, it started with handwriting analysis and then went into, you know, an, an, analyzing ancient handwriting. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, it just kind of fell into place as I was researching her in her world. So, um, that's interesting that you said that you basically had to work backwards because you kind of do like you can almost look at the book and look at it in reverse and trace you know like the manuscript and then and simulate all the way back to Ioana and are we pronouncing that right we looked it up on Google one night well I say Iona I mean that's just Iona. okay 
Yes, after having to learn how to uh, pronounce simile, it was like, okay, let's get this one right. <laughs> <laughs> and there, I love the names. They're all so interesting and different. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time finding the right, finding the names that just feel right to me. Um, and so for Iona, um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I knew, you know, I knew Iona's world and Simley's world, and then it was just really charting how they were going to meet and how, you know, the kind of myth of Tarot was going to meet the real history of Tarot. And, uh, you know, I just, I knew there were certain places in history and time that I wanted the story to land on. It was kind of like a connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And it really came from actually libraries and researching. Uh, it started with, you know, the Library of Alexandria. And then I just knew I wanted, like, touchstones to be kind of the great libraries of the ancient world that would kind of be this flow of, you know, knowledge going from one place to another to the other. And the cards in the uh, memoir followed that kind of river. So that was really, you know, how I got from one place to the other and connected Iona and Simile, so. Very cool. So like, I've always wondered, like, with the books like that, for your technique, do you, like, for the plots, do you, like, how, do you interweave your outline together for the plot? Um, do you just free-for-all it, or do you do, like, a side-by-side -side for their plots? I do both. Um, it's really a 50-50. It's really um, I kind of have, um, you know, some really, like, the basic broad strokes really mapped out and uh, for the fortune teller um, you know I started it actually not knowing who my antagonist was I knew I knew the World War two story I knew that somehow it was all connected there but I didn't have him I didn't have that character yet um, and so that was a bit of a leap of faith for me to kind of start writing because I felt I had enough to just start and I wanted to start. And so, you know, when I started writing and then those text messages just came out of nowhere and, <laughs> yeah, and I wrote them, torture. I, well, I wrote them not knowing who they were from. And I was like, Ooh, who's this? You know? <laughs> and then, you know, by a certain point when I was in the first draft, I was like, okay, I really, I, you know, enough's enough. You know, I've got, I've got to, I've got to, um, uh, you know, get to this character, and and I did. It all worked out, but it was uh, it was really interesting. So that was a first for me to kind of write um, where I didn't know, and I'm glad I did it. You know, in hindsight, uh, because uh, it's it, it let, gave me surprises along the way too. So, and he's a great villain. He's very like a classic, almost like James Bond style villain. Yeah, and you don't even know like. You don't know who he is until the last few chapters, but in those few chapters, you just hate him. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's crazy. But So those text messages, okay. since you brought them up, Ben <laughs> and I have different theories on who they are. Like We can both agree that one of them is Victor. Mm -hmm. um, I, who did you think the other? I think the, the other one was, I think the other sender of the text messages, hold on a second, Lily, was Raina. That's who mm -hmm. I think I the think other one was. Raina's one of them, but Mikhail, I think, is the other one. I think oh, there was okay. between two people. Oh, okay. uh, it's a, for When I wrote it, it's all Raina and, and Victor. It's between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's interesting. You thought uh, Mikael was involved in the text messages. That's cool. Yeah, and it was funny because like the, he was my first thought, and then he would do something, and I was like, oh, well, there goes him. That's not him. Maybe it's Cape. Nope, no, can't be Cape. Okay, all right. And it was like, it went on. I was like, okay, it's got to be Raina. Mm -hmm. And then and it took me about oh. a half an hour after I finished the book to figure out that it was Victor who was the other person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think at first you start reading the text message, or at least I started reading the text messages in a, like, they're looking out for her. Like, they're monitoring her, but they're on her side. They're just kind of, like, keeping tabs on where she is with the manuscript. And it isn't until maybe, like, halfway through that you realize, like, oh, no, these are not good people. Right. Whoever they are. So mm -hmm. even the text messages, you, you had really didn't know where it was going to take you through the, right. through the book. Right. It, it really so. that suspense that there's there's something bigger there's something behind the shadows here and the super creepy part the part that freaked both of us out and we text each other when each of us got it to the part separately was the when she was sitting in the library reading and and uh, Iona said look up someone's watching you it's like no don't don't be that girl don't be creepy <laughs> yeah that really just that you know came out of the writing I mean it was it was uh, I had a lot of fun writing this book so it was a um, you know that wasn't planned so uh, you know it was just little things like that where just you know I just kind of let the story kind of take its part and, um, and I and I really liked that Iona saw that clearly that she knew exactly when Simile was going to be reading it and um, and you know it was just a lot of fun to play with that uh, that here we have someone you know talking to somebody 2,000 years ago uh, and that was you know when I first started um, the the original idea for the story was um, that I wanted this character to inherit her grandmother's cards and not understand the kind of um, inherent uh, abilities that she had. And then when I was really kind of very, really starting out with the idea, you know, when you're writing a book, you, you know, history is just this open uh, canvas and you can go anywhere in time. I was like, I could really set this anywhere. I could go anywhere. And then as I was researching tarot and uh, card history, um, and I really wanted to take that that tarot myth on its origin uh, story, uh, and and really start it from there. That's when I realized that the ultimate grandmother was Iona, uh, you know, writing to her granddaughter, so to speak, through generations. Uh, and so that was that was kind of like a eureka moment for me, where you know it was like I took you know this idea of the generation and just I expanded it. So. Well, it was really interesting, and I thought, I mean, you obviously you have like two things tying them together through the generations. You have the manuscript, and then you have the tarot cards that are actually passed down. Right. Um, but was it Mom? when you um, when you find out that the tarot cards were painted with her with with paint using her blood? That was just kind of like an extra tie. Did you add that in later, or was that kind of always the intention to have that actual physical connection 
within the card. Yeah, I, I wanted that physical connection uh, from the beginning because I just felt that uh, Simile needed it um, in order to have that complete link. Uh, and and I uh, the DNA um, and the um, uh, the uh, uh, genetics testing that was that was from the very beginning. Um, you know, wanting that to be a part of the story where. Uh, you know, Simile was going to be able to know without a doubt that she she was connected uh, with uh, this this you know seer. So yeah. And you know, I feel like the Library of Alexandria has kind of exploded back onto the literary scene. I mean, maybe it's always been there. I'm just noticing it more. But I feel like it's it's a really hot topic for historical fiction books to talk about it but I love how you incorporated so much of the history on it because before this book it I've never really wanted to even research about it that much thanks um yeah I I enjoyed researching it uh it was a big reason why I think the I was attracted to the whole uh, origin myth of Tarot, um, which the French started in the 1700s, and you know historians have debunked. And um, but yet, I still wanted to go there. I still wanted to do a what if uh, these symbols originated there and kind of have fun with it, uh, while at the same time, you know, I was very conscious of wanting to stay true to card history. You know, once we get to that point in Rinalto's story, that's kind of where real card history takes over, kind of the myth passes the torch to uh, what we know. And, mm -hmm. um, but uh, a lot of the attraction was, I was fascinated with the Library of Alexandria and it was really interesting to research it, um, um, you know, and, and make that a starting point, so. And were there any other, um historical figures that were included in this story. I know I, I am totally blanking on his name right now, but the Frenchman who um, Aisha met when she was playing harp for um, in the oh, park. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say his name wrong. I wrote it down because I always mess up the real names. Um, You're about Antoine, Antoine Court de Jebelin. And I'm probably saying that wrong, but yeah, he's <laughs> And, and, and that, that is, uh, you know, he was the one that really wrote about it uh, and got everybody excited. And he had this whole idea that they were, you know, ancient Egyptian lost symbols of antiquity. And uh, so I just thought, you know, I wanted to write the scene in the room. Uh, and, and that is, uh, he was looking at them playing the card game. And he did kind of have this eureka moment. And I thought, well, what if... Iona's descendants in that room playing music, you know, and so that was the moment that, you know, it kind of, you know, took over. So I, I read that scene going, he, he feels important. Like I, I wonder if, if he was real because he kind of feels like he yeah. would be real. Yeah, he was, he was real. Yeah. And that was fun. You know, it's, it's really fun when you're, I try and just put as much reality and, uh, you know, historical, um, facts into the fiction because that just makes it more interesting for me. Um, so yeah, and it makes everything more plausible too. I mean, you've got this this real person who's in the story and people who are real, so that you can attach to them. Mm -hmm. And while you're reading the book, you feel like, okay, this stuff can actually be happening. This could 
actually happen to someone. That would be nice. I would love to find an ancient hidden manuscript in some <laughs> Swiss guy's collection of antiquities and find out that I'm descendant of an ancient seer. Some hot Swiss guys. <laughs> Let's specify that here. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> well, speaking of you, now Michelle, did you warm on you by the end of the book? Because I know you weren't fully really feeling him. You know, Diana and I have differing tastes for lead males. She likes the she likes the Theos of the world, and I do too, but I like That's my nice character. <laughs> I, I mean, there's nothing, nothing not to like about Theo. I just like my lead characters to be like more protective. So I was kind of like, who is this guy who mm -hmm. like kisses her and then disappears and <laughs> is all aloof on the cell phone? <laughs> but no, I liked him at the end. I didn't dislike him. Yeah, you know, it was tricky because, you know, Theo and Simile's story is not the thrust of the book. You know, it's really Simile and Iona. And, you know, everything that's happening with Simile is making her kind of wake up and really look at her life and realize that she hasn't been true to her intuition. She knew it wasn't going to last with Bryn. And, you know, um, and I was really just playing a lot with the idea that, you know, I, a lot of women have this intuition and yet they don't they don't listen to it until later you know and it's like they always knew and mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of wanted to write a character like that uh, where this was a you know everything that was happening to her was kind of this this catalyst uh, to just reevaluate and um, you know realize that that you know he wasn't he wasn't the one for her and uh, and you know Theo really. I mean, he's in he's in another country. He's trying to let her figure things out. And so you know he came into the story when it was just it was time for him to come in. You know, so I think if it, he was there throughout, it would have been a little bit more of a kind of a drama, you know, love triangle, which really wasn't what I was trying to do. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved this character. I loved how he kept his distance because then it made it more about Simile's journey as opposed to Simile plus yeah. Theo. And so yeah, I was curious if that was just like that was a purposeful thing. Because mm -hmm. uh, I mean that that does add a bit of a you know feminism thing to it. I think I would think that he would be a feminist in that regard because he doesn't feel like he needs to ride in and save the day. Right. Yeah, and he, I mean, ultimately, you see he is an extremely romantic guy, you know, I mean, uh, just, he's been waiting to meet her, he's translated this thing, he's read it God knows how many times, and, you know, he was uh, watching her the whole time, she's there at the chateau, she didn't even know it, you know, so it's just, it was a lot of fun to kind of reveal all that as it, you know, she had no idea, and uh, and it made me like Theo more as I was writing him too. So it was fun. <laughs> I love the way you describe the characters, like with building the characters. So yeah, I started to like him more. Wasn't sure at first, but yeah, now I like him. He grew on me. It's like they have well, on their own. One character that was super easy to not like was Raina. Um, you just 
didn't like her. I she was just you know not a nice person. But I love that at the end you gave her that connection to Victor, obviously, and then to Simile, and it kind of gave her not not an excuse for what she was doing, but I felt a little sorry for her at the end because it was like she probably grew up and spent her entire life knowing that she disappointed her father just because she didn't have this power. Right. And it was all just like her trying to make up for it. So. Yeah. I hated her a little bit less at the end. I loved her. She made a great villain. I I loved to hate her. Um, she was like that perfect friend of me, the 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 bitchy girl from high school. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry, Michelle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was she was like that cheerleader that she always had to compete with, and I love that about her. Yeah, I mean, for Raina, it was uh, you know it was just a fine line of how much do you know, how much time do I really spend with her and, um, you know, because I didn't want to give things away too, you know, so it was, it was tricky. But yeah, she's very flawed. She's very tragic. Um, and everything that you said about uh, that dynamic with her dad and, you know, and ultimately when I wrote her, she didn't really understand why she was there. You know, she was sent on this assignment um, and, you know, Victor's doing this big grand experiment um, and all she's doing is trying to follow his direction, but yet, you know, and she's getting into this relationship and all this is happening and it doesn't go the way she wants. And yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it's, you know, she is a tragic, um, character, but yeah, definitely a villainous at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so since I had to cut out and come back in, I'm trying to, I'll let you take over further questions, Michelle, because I'm not exactly sure where you're at. Well, we handled that technical glitch like pros, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but so, you know, my first question was kind of about, there's so many different things to focus on and that you, that you had to research was, and then you mentioned that the Library of Alexandria is really kind of what drove you as far as research was, where did you get this, the idea for this? There, there are a lot of balls in the air for the story. Right. Um, well, for me, uh, I actually was uh, really introduced to Tarot at a really young age. Um, and um, I was, I went on this trip to France with a group of girls when I was in seventh grade uh, for, for five weeks in the summer and uh, with our French teacher and she, her grandfather, she was from Paris and her grandfather was, uh, was Ram, a gypsy. Uh, and he had taught her how to, um, read palms and cards and faces. And so she kind of grew up, uh, with this, you know, heritage and way of looking at the world. And so by the end of this trip, she read my cards. Uh, by candlelight and it was this really you know amazing experience I was in seventh grade and you know in France and oh my gosh uh, and so later it made an impression obviously you know I've written this book but um, so later in high school I started going to um, psychic fairs and getting my cards read I was really fascinated with tarot and I got a book and um, some how-to um, some some how-to books and I got a deck and I became friends with a tarot reader and she taught me um, how she read her cards and um, so that was kind of like my my um, 
my education with them. And then later when I was writing stories, um, this was after grad school, I was kind of trying to think of the stories I wanted to tell. And this one came up that I really wanted to tell a story that would travel through the major arcana of the Tarot, where you would have a character and she would start with the fool and she'd end with the world. Because I thought, well, what a great journey that would be if you traveled your story arc was the major arcana. And um, so that was kind of the original idea I wrote down in my storybook and then I left it and I, that was literally 20 years ago. And um, uh, then I was finishing up the memory painter. I was finishing uh, writing it and I was trying to think you know, what my next book would be. And the fortune teller just kind of kept coming to the foreground like this is what I should write next. Um, and I, it just felt right. I, I started envisioning like each chapter a card and, you know, and, and I, I started researching thinking, well, this really sh maybe should be the next story because I already was in Egypt in the memory painter and I wanted to read about the library of Alexandria. And the more I researched, it just started really coming together. Um, so, uh, and I didn't know a lot about card history and tarot history when I started and kind of that that history really informed the story and sh helped shape it um, and on my website I, I put a bibliography of like all the materials that really helped with the story and I tried to break it down into sections like the tarot part the science part the lifetimes and the um, and the um, conservation and restoration um, and um, my point was, I was—I actually had a point. I was about to get to it. <laughs> I just trailed off. Um, it's the wine, which is why I don't drink wine when I give <laughs> talks. This is a first, so. The only first. This is why we have the wine. Is <laughs> we enjoy having the wine because we love hearing these going off on these tangents. Get so much interesting information out of it. <laughs> now I had a point about the bibliography. There's something there. Uh, gosh. I'll, I'll remember. And everybody should just go to the big bibliography and yeah, check it out. There's a reason. <laughs> and the wine is a convenient scapegoat if something like that happens. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why we have it. We think of everything. And you brought up the memory painter, and I'm so glad you brought up the memory painter because I love the memory painter. Oh, thanks. Um, and I, from what I understand, there's going to be a second memory painter that I've heard. Is there any news on that? Uh, you know, quite possibly. It's not what I'm writing right now. Um, and um, if there is going to be a, a continuation of that story, I really think it would be a standalone companion book that people would not have to have read Memory Painter to read mm -hmm. this. Um, and I do have something in mind. It's just not, it's not fully formed yet. So... Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure um, when that story will kind of come about. I tend to just go where, um, you know, the inspiration strikes, really. I understand that. Okay. So since we're kind of just talking about writing in general, what is your writing process when you're working on something? Uh, I don't really have a... Um, set anything. Um, 
I mean, it's, 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 uh, it changes. It, it depends on where I'm at. Like if I'm breaking a first draft, it's a lot of, it's literally a lot of laying on the floor, staring at the ceiling and trying to, you know, really get it. Uh, once the first draft is done, it's just, everything's easier for me because I love to rewrite. And I just I can rewrite forever and ever and uh, be happy because uh, I love to do that. But um, uh, yeah, so when I do that, I print. I work on paper and I print. I take pages with me everywhere. So like you know, my son's in karate. I'm in the car uh, doing the. You know, I used to be sitting in the class. Now he wants me in the car. Um, so you know. <laughs> more of a big boy so uh, I sit in the car with my pages so I bring pages everywhere my red pen and pages and then I enter those in and print it back out and that's the rewriting you know and that's uh, but as far as um, a schedule I just work whenever I can and and I'm, you know it's it's I tend to look at writing as not just sitting at your keyboard writing it's also uh, you know you can be writing in your mind when you're taking a walk and when you're you know um, doing anything it's uh, you don't have to be sitting in a room alone in the quiet uh, to write so um, that's that's how you know I'm pretty all over the place so that weird word quiet I don't know what that is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't function when it's quiet. I yeah, that's I always have to have something in the background, whether it's music or the television. I'm one of those. I have to have background noise. Yeah, I like to uh, I like to pick music, um, instrumental, and I like to loop songs. So like I'll pick a song for a specific scene, and I'll just put it on repeat until I'm done writing it. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's uh, you know when I'm actually you know, able to sit at my desk and have the door shut and, you know, and I do a lot of writing like that at night and, um, and during the day uh, when I can, but, you know. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> you got a little repeater. <laughs> so I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about since Michelle um, was so fond of Cape. Okay. And Michelle had the question of why did Cave have to die? Right. I loved Cave. I, I was know. so sorry. I, you know, he just he just did. It just happened. <laughs> and I couldn't I was like, I couldn't undo it. I don't know. It just it felt wrong to try. And you know, um, ultimately, uh, you know, this was Victor's experiment. He had, uh, he wanted dramatic results in a very short uh, period of time and he planned all that and it just seemed, um, it just, it just, it was, you know, unfair and brutal and, um, in the story, he was a great character, but I just felt like, um, I didn't really second guess it and I didn't, I just didn't. I didn't feel like I didn't. Uh, what's the word? I didn't um, agonize over it. It just was like it happened, and it had to happen. And she was so affected by it, and and you know, uh, it was her lowest point, and uh, and it just you know that's that's kind of where where that why that happened that way. You feel better, Michelle? Yes. I before before you um, joined the hangout, we were talking about um, the text messages 
and how you kind of like laid breadcrumbs out for a lot of the things that would happen. And one of the things that kind of came to me before you me you mentioned it in the act in the story was the dream she had about the bike accident and she thought it was just like a memory from her childhood when actually it was a premonition of what would happen to Cabe. Mm -hmm. And when I when I thought that I was like, oh, no, because I thought about that before you found out that he wasn't gonna make it. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh man, he's gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, Michelle. It's a thriller. It's a thriller. Yeah, exactly. It's a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> you like this genre, Michelle. You should be used to this kind of stuff. I know. and But you know what? When I get upset about a character dying, that just means that I'm really connected to the book. So it's a good thing. If I was yeah. like, whatever, yeah. then, then something is wrong. Right. Well... Sorry, repositioning here. Well, it's it was one of those things where this is one of um, the first book in a long time where I've actually had physical like reactions to to the story. I mean, at one point when um, Iona says Simile's name, and you know, or the look up that one, I, I swear to God, I was in my office by myself. I jumped, got a little creeped out. I had to look around like, okay, all right, nobody's here. Okay, I'm good. Um, it was a very never-ending story kind of moment for me. That's great. With Cabe, I, I, after his passing, I let off a string of curse words. Um, so I may be playing the tough, uh, tough girl card with Cabe, but it wasn't so tough after his death. <laughs> and I, yes, I don't want to repeat those curse words um, because I don't think he, Michelle wants Lily uh, saying them either. No, she, she's going through a thing right now where she knows but the words that are bad, but and she'll go, Mommy, why did they say that word? Like, I don't know. They were being silly. <laughs> but um, I really liked how you include you worked in the experimentation during World War II, and I started researching that a little bit, and I actually found a video from Russian scientists and the the, is it psi, like the psi step, or is it, how do you pronounce it, the PSI studies? I, I mean, I say psi. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I found a video of a Russian housewife who was said to be um, telekinetic and she could move things, and it was like from the Cold War era. So it's interesting to see that it carried over from World War II through, you know, the Cold War, mm -hmm. that they were studying that. Yeah. No, it was interesting researching it all, um, you know, yeah, and I, I just relied on just a lot of books and, uh, you know, some documentaries and stuff, so. So was Evenoff based on one specific person, or was he a com compilation of? Compilation, yeah, there wasn't one specific um, uh, researcher that caught my eye and I modeled him after. It was more just, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, an amalgamation of that, yeah. Diana, you have a question about Victor and Evanoff, right? Yeah. yeah, I was curious about it. I was actually just about to ask it too. Uh, so I'm glad we're on the same wavelength here. Um, you 
don't get into much detail about who Victor is in comparison to Nettie and Simile. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a reason for that, out of curiosity, or was it just something that you wanted to have for the big reveal? Yeah, it felt like that was a bombshell that needed to be revealed at that moment in the orphanage, uh, the in scene. I just felt like if we had known any sooner, it just would have kind of given too much for us to know, you know, uh, what's going on and who's who's manipulating um, simile and all this. So uh, it just felt right as a you know as as kind of the big reveal that we find out. And I could see that with Nettie's character because it seemed like with Nettie. Um, in her storyline, she was very guarded, mm-hmm. and you know, not really one to give away too many emotions and spill the beans right. and things. Well, I mean, there was three years there in that in that uh, prison with the experimentation, and we don't know what all went on. You know, there's hints of it, and um, you know, I kind of went around uh, just to kind of skim the top shadows of it. I didn't want to go heavy into the details and. Um, if I did, I would have had to have included that, you know, or else it would have been why, you know, even a bigger question, why didn't you? So it just kind of, again, I really don't uh, question myself when something feels really right. It just feels really right. And I just kind of go, you know, I don't, you know, that, that felt like that was the time when we plus everybody in the room finds out this big secret. So, um, you know. And that totally works. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not. No, I don't mean to. But I mean, it's just like, yeah, that's that's just the that was the impulse of it, you know. So, <laughs> yes, you got to stay true to the story, and you did a fabulous job with staying true to the story. I mean, as I had said before, um, I actually like the fortune teller better than the memory painter, and I really like the memory oh, painter. Thanks. So you know, there's no complaining on my end. <laughs> Michelle, did you have any question? Any more questions? Because I think we kind of covered them all. This hour is going fast. I know. Um, well, one last question that I had was, and I know we've kind of talked about this already, but um, I'm always really interested in how authors build their worlds. Um, that's especially in historical fiction. You have to be, you know, you have to pay really close attention to building the world around you, especially when you're going back to. Alexandria, and then and through, you know, through the ages up until um, Semele. So how do you, do you kind of, did you like focus like, okay, we're going to, you know, now, right now we're t- talking about Iona, so we're going to, I'm going to research like crazy for Alexandria and build that world and then move on and, and yeah. stop and do the next one. Yeah, if I were to try to do it all before, all at once, I think I would really burn out. It was really intensive, all the research, to where at one point I was I was fantasizing about just writing a, a contemporary story next with absolutely zero historical research because I was like, what did I get myself into? With, <laughs> you know, I would literally leave one world, one, one time period, and then I have to start the research all over again for the new one. And I did do it that way. I compartmentalized which is really what I did for the memory painter too with those lifetimes because you know it's like I can only you know it was it was just focusing at one time of in history um, but yeah it was it was re- looking back it was hard uh, doing all of the 
that you know you have to start all all over again with a new time and uh, and get you know read read as much as you can about it before you want to you know you feel like you can write it and yeah so. Yeah. My, my books are going to stay within one time period because I'm having a hard enough time. <laughs> I will write one soon that's just one time period, and I am looking forward to that. You know, just one historical time period where I can stay put. It, it actually sounds real, really lovely. I think I might do it. <laughs> well, my editor, when it comes to the world building, my editor has been getting on my case about um, – bringing in uh, more of the outside world and really creating that feeling. And um, you did that a lot, especially with, um, you know, with Iona and you could picture the um, Alexandria and you could picture, I mean, the library there and, and also where she goes when she meets, I forget the, her husband's name. Um, Who, Iona? Yes, and you can picture everything there. Um, any tips or things that you use to try to really pull that through? Uh, tips, I would say I try and show the world through action and the character's mm -hmm. eyes and their thoughts and feelings. So if you're just kind of describing it, it starts to feel a little bit, I call it book report mode, and you just kind of want to stay out of that and keep it in character mode. So, you know, if you can really put those little embellishments in through um, their eyes, their experience and their, you know, what they're actually doing, make it be a physical action. It, it tends to help it, you know, I don't like to spend a lot of time on too much detail. I'm a very impatient reader and uh, probably an impatient writer as well. Uh, so I just, you know, try and a little goes a long way, you know, it really does, so. Yeah, that would be my tip is just stick with the character with their emotional journey and then leave the history and everything that they're experiencing, you know, through them, make them be the channel for the history, you know, for the, for that time period, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. Okay, so well, I think that's all of my questions. Anything else for you, Michelle? Um, I am just curious if you can tell us what you're working on right now. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, not that's entirely. Always nosy. Yeah, uh, I am working on something, uh, and I'm hoping to really talk about it uh, after the holidays. It is going to be another thriller and a love story. Um, that is going to uh, be in the very much in the same wheelhouse as uh, both the Memory Painter and the Fortune Teller, um, and it will travel to different places in history, but in a whole different way. It's not going to do do it in the way that uh, either of the other two books did. So um, I'm really excited for it, and I just need to get through this. You know this. Uh, you know, getting the story completely down, uh, and then yeah, then I'll be kind of talking about it a lot <laughs> so. <laughs> so we'll have to come back next time when the next book is out so we can talk about that one. Oh, that'd be great thank you <laughs> it'll take me a little while but yeah <laughs> i'd love to come back here <laughs> yeah, and you can even come back in between you know if you need to talk about the book get some, uh, <laughs> run something by us you know mm -hmm. oh we never talked about casting by the way so, oh, yeah. that's a big thing with us is it? We love our, our fantasy casting. Cool. Uh, I don't that know if you kept up with any of our fantasy casting that we've done. 
Uh, no, you cut out for a second. What? I don't know if you've cut uh, if you've cut, uh, if you've kept up with any of our fantasy casting that we've done through the month. No. Um, okay, so a quick rundown. Um, Simile was I can't remember her name, but she was this. Did we did we pick somebody specifically, Michelle? I can't remember. Oh my gosh, the entire. Okay, so for Victor, we did Donald Sutherland. Yes. Mm. And. Reyna was um, Kenzie from Lost Girl, who mm -hmm. is, if you're familiar with Lost Girl. And I know I'm butchering the first name, so um, I apologize. Uh, and oh, we had right. Simile was Evangeline Lilly. That's right. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She could Simile's haircut, so that's why she got the role. <laughs> Great idea. And Theo was, he's still Charles Brandon for, marriage, for me. Um, Superman. Oh. Um, um, and now I'm blanking on his name too. Yeah, Superman, Charles Brandon. Um, okay, go on, I'll think of it. And Bran was Orlando Bloom. Mm -hmm. mm. That's great. Yeah, you put it our girl Simile's got game, so. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Cable. Yes, that's it. Oh yeah, that's the, uh, it's a great look. I mean, he, he, he kind of has that persona. You know, of Theo. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like you could really rock a turtleneck, and that's really what I picture Theo in. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he will always be Charles Brandon from the Tudors for me, so I will never remember his name. Yeah. So, whenever um, the fortune teller is ready to be made in a movie, you already have the cast lineup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just tell the producers to, uh, you know, get with you guys. Absolutely. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on Twitter, I already gave Deborah Harkness our seal of approval for her initial casting yeah. announcements for the All Souls trilogy, so we're good to go. Yeah, no, that's exciting to see that one come to life. I'm excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, and then that she's writing another book about in the All Souls world, I'm super excited about that. Yeah. That just means I have to go back and reread all three books because I really don't remember them that well. Oh, it's been a while, you know. Well, I think our hour is up. I am amazed that my kids were well behaved. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I'm really thankful for that, and thank you for for putting up with them on there. Oh, no, slowly. Thank thank you for having me. Really. Absolutely. We were so excited. We've been looking forward to this this book for a while now. Mm -hmm. Well, so. it was really great. It was really great to be here. You guys are awesome, and thank you so thank much. You. And to everybody watching, thank you. Definitely. And next month, we we're starting our September book. I can't believe it's September already. I know. Um, we're doing The Book of Speculation by Erica Swiler, and it's all the way over in my bookshelf, otherwise I would show you. Um, so everyone get started on that one now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.